Glad everybody made it here tonight. And if you see me up here, then we probably, you probably know that the uh, youth group has gone out of town. Doug went with them. And again, I think, uh, I think that's a really important work. We need to encourage that because uh, I think I've said many times that that's our future and we need them raised up in a way in the right way and hopefully they wouldn't stray from it tonight uh, I'll start off a couple of weeks ago uh, gave a Wednesday night devotional and it was emphasizing the fact that names have meanings so and I really appreciate Brother Eddie Clower's sermon this morning because uh, it really sets up for tonight's sermon that I had prepared. And uh, there, there's no way you can plan that. It just worked out. Uh, but his emphasis on love and the name Christian. And it, it really works as a lead-in for tonight's sermon. Uh, on that note, I I know in announcements I led kind of led on to that, but the work that they do, uh, the Truth for Today, uh, that organi organization, the work that that they do is is fantastic. When you consider the amount of Bible training material uh, that they provide to spread the gospel. Yeah, it, it, it puts them at the top of the field um, in what they do. They truly do a, a fantastic work. But um, kind of getting them back on track here, uh, the devotional I did a couple of weeks ago, like I said, emphasized the fact that towns, places, things, people, I mean, they all have meaning. Some famous, some infamous. And it just depends on the event or their background. But the emphasis was that these all have meaning, good and bad. Even how people see us in our daily lives, it all has meaning. And again, sometimes good, and sometimes bad. Someone is always watching. And names are important. Even in the Old Testament times, God put a, a great emphasis on names. Whether it was Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 5, or Abraham in Genesis chapter 17, God changed Jacob's name to Israel. In Genesis chapter 32, verse 28, we even see the importance God put on names in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, the Apostle Paul condemns divisive names. It says, Is Christ divided? 
or baptized in the name of others than Christ. But words, they, they have meaning. Whether we hear certain words, they, they can remind us of certain feelings, events, sensations, situations from our past, and even bring up emotions. Words have importance when it comes to names. Take, for instance, the word church. Well, what comes to mind when you hear the word church? We'd get a varied response between what Christians would respond and what non-Christians would respond. You know, for way, way too many, this is what comes to mind when people hear the word church. That video, I've clipped the audio. And sometimes we might have been that person. Now I have to admit, there was a time or two that I've been like Goober here. Uh, it's, it's not that the sermon was boring, but it was because I'd been called out for work the night before, been up almost all night, only had a couple hours sleep, but was determined to come to church. But people who see churches as boring, many times it's because they're here for the wrong reason. Many times I come across people who see church as a social event. They pick, they pick what church to attend based on what that church can provide them. An example would be a couple with junior high and high school age kids. Their kids play football or they attend so they attend the same church that the coach does. Or their kids are in drama or band or choir. So they attend the church where the drama teacher attends or where the band director attends so their kids can get a leg up. They were, what if sometimes they just want their kids to be popular. So they attend the church where all the popular kids attend think it doesn't happen I know specifics where if you wanted your kids to make the team then odds were a lot better if you attended the right church or what about we'll go to another one what about Barney here he's drifting off because he's lost interest in the sermon but watch Andy, Andy Griffith. He also, he's lost interest. And instead of drifting off, he's looking around, up, around, everywhere except on the pulpit or paying attention to the sermon. These are on a continuous loop so they keep playing until I advance the slide. When he comes around again, if it hadn't missed it, Watch Aunt B in the back, in the row back from there. 
looks like she and a few others, they're actually interested in that sermon. I'm not saying every instance is the fault of the audience. I mean, I've listened to some preachers and they could put anyone to sleep. Sometimes we do need to look at ourselves and make sure we're reaching people. I'd also like to add, I don't think anybody could sleep through Doug's sermon. He will wake you up. But many, many in the world, they're not at church for the right reason. Hence, they lose interest very easily and see church as boring. That's how we get into this community church. We get in these, the choirs, or we get into these where they have these drama plays or basically they have a concert. They have to do that to keep the atten their, their attention. My example about people choosing a church only to further themselves or their kids' chances of making a team or being popular, this many times is why people see church as boring. That just isn't just about people's kids. It happens to adults also. New job, just moved to town. Or people who choose a church solely based on which church that can provide them the contacts that they need. I did a devotional several months ago about church being boring. And being bored, the, the definition is a loss of interest. And that loss of interest is on our part, not on God's part. But names, names matter. The idea of what's in a name even goes way back in history. Consider Shakespeare when he wrote Romeo and Juliet. A rose by any other name would smell as sweet. I don't even know if they make kids read Romeo and Juliet anymore or Shakespeare. But Juliet is in love with Romeo because, but because he's from a rival family, her parents refuse for her to see him. But what Juliet's saying here is she loves him. If he had any other name, he would still be what she's fallen in love with. She compares her feelings with a rose. So no matter what you call it, it still smells just as sweet and is just as beautiful. So a rose by any other name is still a rose, no matter what you call it. You know, the rose, it doesn't change just because you want to call it something else. See, mankind many times has a distorted view on what the Bible actually says. They want to put their own spin on it. They want to change scripture, make it fit to what they want. It's just like the name of the church. So many times I run into people who just don't understand the importance of the name 
of the church. When we're discussing the name used by the church that Jesus Christ built, we need to emphasize that we are discussing an important biblical subject. So all of our discussion must be based on what the Bible says and only the Bible, not what man thinks it should be or what's convenient for man or what fits man's narrative of what scripture says or what they think it should say. Just like the slide up there says, because on judgment day, man's think so will have no part in God's judgment. We see this in John 1248. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. You know, one of the most important subjects that we can study in this day and age is by what name should the church that Jesus Christ purchased with his own blood, what should that church be called? In Matthew 16, 18, if I could only use one scripture to answer the question as to that name, it would have to be Matthew 16, 18, because I think it sums it all up. It says, and I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Plain and simple. I just don't see how people can get it wrong. I will build my church. My church. And who's speaking? Jesus. Simple. Christ is speaking so whose church is it that's being built? Christ's church. It simply goes back to my point. Names matter. Like I stated earlier, this is a biblical matter. And the Bible has to be the source for our answer and only the Bible. So what are the names used in the Bible for the church? There's a ones I put, just went through and picked out. Matthew 16, 18, and I say that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Acts 8, 1, now Saul was consenting to his death at the at that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. 1 Corinthians 1-2, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints with all who are in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord 
both theirs and ours. We all know Romans 16, 16. Greet ye one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. We have Ephesians 4, 12. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. 1 Timothy 3.15 says, But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourselves in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Hebrews 12.23 says, To the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven to God the judge of all to the saints of just men made perfect see the church of Christ speaks of the church in scriptural terms but isn't it strange? And it amazes me that people who claim to belong to Christ are so willing to be a part of some religious organization whose name is totally foreign to what the Bible says. You couldn't find it in Scripture if you had to sometimes. It's not just the name that's on the building that's important. It's also what we call ourselves in relation to what is scriptural. Again, it just amazes me that, that people, they can't or won't they won't see the importance of what name they call themselves when it comes to being a member of the church. What we call ourselves as members of Christ's church, again, can only be decided solely based on what is biblical. What does scripture say? What does the Bible say? So what names are used in scripture? in reference to the members of Christ's church. Acts 27, 20, chapter 20, verse 7 says, Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. <clears throat> First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2 says, to the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all who are in every place, call on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Excuse me. <clears throat> Romans 1, chapter 1, verse 7. It says, to all who are in Rome, 
the beloved of God, called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from our God, or from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6 says, After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. Continues with Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. 1 John 3, 1, chapter 3, verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him. Romans chapter 8 verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Just a couple of more, just bear with me. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9, but you are a chosen generation a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who, are called, who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Then in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch, so it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. We heard that this morning, Christians. Words have meaning. And names must be biblical. You know, when it's a scriptural issue, we must base our decision using only the Bible. I got a friend. He's actually got a PhD. Whenever we have a discussion, and he's, he's since moved to... Uh, down to Florida. Anyway, I'd show up carrying a Bible, walk in, and he's got a stack of commentaries and all this, you know, and I'm like, isn't this what we need? You know, we must, we must wear only the names given, a, given to us by God's word. Using, only using the names the Bible uses to designate God's people. I'm, 
we'll see for in just a little bit. Not not any others like Baptist, Methodist, Episcopalian, Lutheran, just to name a few. I'm not just singling anything any out, just as examples. You know, I'm a member of the Church of Christ because the names it's strictly biblical. It sticks strictly to what the Bible says. Because it's scriptural. More importantly, it's what God intended. Again, I'm a Christian because it's scriptural. Because it's what God intended. Because Christ purchased his church with his blood. Because his people are what make up the church. It's not this building. It's the people. How could anyone call themselves anything other than Christian? What logic could anyone use to assign themselves a name made up by man instead of the name that Christ died for? You know, and I'm not the only one to think this way. You know, it turns out there's a lot of other people that think this way also. Charles Spurgeon, uh, he's a very influential Baptist preacher, lived in the 1800s. Look at what he had to say on the issue of names. I say of the Baptist name, let it perish, but let Christ's name last forever. I look forward with pleasure to the day when there will not be a Baptist living. I hope the Baptist name will soon perish, but let Christ's name endure forever. And that's a direct quote. You can look that up in the Spurgeon Memorial Library. It's available online. Look up volume one, page 168. Martin Luther. Martin Luther was a German priest who was ordained in 1507. And he's best known for his 95 thesis that he posted in 1517. Martin Luther is attributed for the Reformation movement. And you can guess Martin Luther is also attributed as the founder of the Lutheran Church. But look at what Martin Luther had to say on the subject of names. I pray you to leave my name alone and call not yourself Lutherans, but Christians. Who is Luther? I have not been crucified for anyone. Let us call ourselves only Christians after him from whom our doctrine comes. And again, direct quote from The Life of Luther written by Stork. It's taken from page 289. If I say it, I want to make sure I can back it up. We need to take this seriously. You know, and 
Sometimes when I'm talking to people, they get that reformation and restoration movement. They're two totally different things. We've got a sermon, and it it's, all comes from the Wednesday night devotional about the restoration movement, and it was to restore back to God's Word that this is our manual that we believe in what Scripture says, not the opinions of man. You know, Alexander the Great, he was one of the greatest military generals who ever lived, according to Wikipedia. He conquered almost the entire known world with, at that time with his vast army. Story goes, one night during a campaign, he couldn't sleep and he left his tent to walk around the camp encampment. As he was walking, he came across a soldier asleep who was on guard duty. It's a serious offense in any military. The penalty for falling asleep while on guard duty was in most cases instant death. The commanding officer sometimes would pour kerosene on the sleeping soldier and light it. The soldier began to wake up as Alexander the Great approached him. Recognizing who was standing in front of him, the young man feared for his life. Do you know what the penalty for, is for falling asleep while on guard duty? Alexander the Great asked the soldier. Yes, sir, the soldier responded in a quivering voice. He said, soldier, what's your name? Demanded Alexander the Great. He replied, Alexander, sir. Alexander the Great repeated the question, what's your name? My name is Alexander, sir, the soldier repeated. A third time and more loudly, Alexander the Great asked, what is your name? And for a third time, the soldier this time very meekly replied, my name is Alexander, sir. Alexander the Great then looked at the young soldier straight in the eye. Soldier, he said with intensity, either change your name or change your conduct. Names are important. They have meaning. Now, I don't know how, how accurate this story of Alexander the Great is, but it's all over the internet, so it's gotta be true. Joking. But either way, this story has so much application to so many that call themselves Christian today. 
change your ways or change your name. Yeah, I'd rather hear that than depart from me, for I know ye not, or never knew you. Chilling words that I'd hate to hear on the day of judgment. But I think that implies a good life lesson that we need to take to heart. If we call ourselves Christians, we need to make sure that our lives exhibit it. Like I said before, earlier, someone is always watching. You know, the world is a small place. I'm sure people in, in this auditorium have gone to places like Branson and you end up running into about a half a dozen people that you normally would have seen at Walmart. It's a small place. In closing, I want to go back to those two video clips from Andy Griffith. This one of uh, Goober falling asleep in church. I want to ask two simple questions. Where's Jesus at when he's falling asleep? Did Jesus get bored of Goober? Or did Goober get bored of Jesus? Simple question. But I think it's ones we need to ask. The one about Barney. This clip of him falling asleep. Or Andy looking up, looking around. Where is Jesus at when Barney's falling asleep? Did Jesus get bored of him? Or did Barney get bored of Jesus? I'm just asking the questions. And I'll tell you, when I, when I put these together and I ask, I'm asking myself, I, I usually write sermons that apply to me. I'm asking myself these questions. I don't write them to pick on anybody except myself. So I ask myself this same question. There's times that I thought church was boring. There's times that, like I said, there's a lack of sleep. It wasn't honest, but yeah. I felt like that before. But did Jesus get bored of us? Or did we get bored of Jesus? Again, I'm just asking these questions. But again, I'm asking myself. You know, we always, and I, I, I do this I close the same way. I guess I'm really predictable. But we always offer an extent an invitation, extend an invitation to anyone who has needs for the prayers of the church. Anyone that 
may have made that decision to be baptized. And we always want to make sure that, that you understand that's 24-7. That's we, we always close that way. That invitation is always available. It's just a phone call away. But more importantly, when we come together, whoever's up here, me, Kirk when he's up here, Eric or Doug or whoever, we always want to extend, we make sure we extend that invitation because we know the importance of salvation. It's a good, good scripture that has stuck with me for many years. Knowing the terror of the Lord, therefore we persuade men. I take that to heart. Because it being lost and hearing those words, depart from me for I know you not. Those, those are words I never want to hear. Not for me or anybody. But we are, yet yeah, we serve a just God. And there will be a day of judgment. So if anybody has needs of the church as far as prayers, or like I said, made that decision to put them Christ on in baptism, we want to extend that offer, that opportunity now as we come and stand and sing.